right, here he is, uh, most likely the last guest of 2023, the one and only Jeff Pilson. What's going on, Jeff? Hey, pleasure to be your last guest. Thank you. Yeah, and it's uh, it really is an honor for me. I'm, I'm a younger guy. I'm in my 20s still, but I remember being a kid when I first got into music and I would see you on uh, some of the uh, VH1 uh, countdown things or, or whatever they were, you know, 15 years ago or whatever. So... Uh, and and now you're here, so it, it uh, really is an honor. And I miss those shows. They don't uh, they don't really do stuff like that anymore. Well, and they, it's, they uh, still have that top ten show, and I'm on that a lot too. So um, that's a that's a good one. I think that that's VH1. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say I was looking at your Facebook, and I was seeing some stuff from uh, Top Ten Revealed or whatever on. Yeah, uh, that's a- Access TV, right? Yeah. Oh, Access. What, what is? Right. It? Is it just another countdown show? It just, yeah, sim- similar kind of thing. I mean, they take a top 10, they'll take a subject and then top 10 and then interview guys and we make little our little snide comments and, and it's uh, it's very entertaining. <laughs> yeah, I need to get that channel because I, I don't think they make VH1 Classic anymore and I think Access is like the only channel that Access, that has yeah. that type of stuff on it. You're yeah. right, it, it is Access. Yeah, I, I keep thinking VH1, but yeah, it is. So obviously, a massive, massive summer tour uh, in 2024 with Foreigner and Styx, uh, part of the Foreigner uh, farewell tour. Will these dates extend into 2025, or is is uh, I'm sure more will get announced towards the end of of 24. But uh, yeah. how far, how long is this uh, is this farewell going to go? Well, our farewell tour, the the touring part of it, the the nine months of the year on the road, solid thing. That will end at the end of 24. Uh, I would imagine that we're, there'll still be some kind of dates in 2025. Um, nothing specific yet, um, but I believe there will be some. I just think th- what what we mean by farewell tour is no more long tours. Uh, and I don't think that will be any dates with sticks into 25. I guess you never know. Um, I think we're probably going to be doing more very special events or corporate events and that kind of thing, private shows, um, if we do in 25. All of that is kind of being worked on now. Um, but as far as a big old tour, you know, where we play for months at a time, that will end at the end of 24. So this isn't necessarily uh, the end of of Foreigner, so to speak. So this could go... Right. Even, you know, three, four years from now, potentially a, a one-off, a festival gig, private gig, would obviously uh, a lot of money to be made with private and, and corporate shows. I mean, that's where uh, you Maybe. can really make a payday. You're, yeah, it is very accurate to say it is not the end of Foreigner, um, but it is the end of Foreigner doing long tours, uh, and that's the farewell part. Um, I don't know how long it's going to go, honestly. I mean, you know, we're... Uh, we don't want to get to a point where we feel like our quality level is diminishing. And that's something we're very, very cognizant of. So it's going to depend on how we feel about where we're at, you know, for how long we go. And how is, uh, how is Mick Jones's health? Will he be a part of any of these upcoming shows? I mean, it's kind of down to his doctors. Now his health is actually quite good. But he's got very conservative doctors that are, you know, as as is their job. They're they're really watching out for him. Um, so we'll see how much involvement he has. Um, but the good news is, is his health is good and he's in good spirits. And um, it's going to be his birthday in a few days. So, yeah, all is good. Oh, wow. Well, uh, the, the one thing I, I wanted to say uh, is two of the more recent guests on this show have have major, major ties to you. So it's great to, to finally have you on now, too, and, and get your side uh, of, of some of these stories. Uh, probably most notably, the first one I, I wanted to talk about is I recently had Tommy Henriksen on. Uh-huh. Uh, and that guy is just, he, what a character. He's, yes, he's, he's a character. He's a, he's a, he was he was awesome, and he actually—I'm uh, sure he's told you this uh, in private as well—but he credits you with saving his life. Uh, you know, I think this was at, at some point. Uh, this would have been in mid to late '90s, whatever. You were. This is when Doc had gotten back together. You were uh, going out on the road. You call him up to house sit, uh, which which he said really saved him because at that point, I think uh, you know he he was almost homeless, if I recall. All yeah. sorts of uh, nothing was really working out for him. 
and then you stepped in and and uh the hero of the day well yeah i mean yeah tommy i mean he had gone through a couple of record deals at that point with uh some bands that he had um and it was he was kind of coming on rough times for that um so yes he he housed it but in that process he started writing what became his solo record that came out at the end of 19 uh it came out in 99 that was a phenomenal record and when i started hearing the songs that he was writing i i, I was like man you you've got something here this is really really great and he pursued it and he ended up getting a great record deal and kind of launched him into this next part of his career which then involved him moving to nashville for a while and then getting involved with you know alice and that whole camp and then the hollywood vampires so um i don't credit myself for saving his life by any means but i mean i helped out a very very dear friend um and uh but a very talented friend that you know he would have he would have gotten not landed on his feet somehow um and the guy is he's just loaded with talent and he's got so many great things to offer and i'm just so happy that you know i know alice just loves him and other uh, guys in hollywood vampires love him and you know he's he's just a he's a wonderful person who's amazingly talented that brings a lot to the table for any band he's in well and his his uh storytelling is just remarkable and yeah. you know I, I think it's a, a mix of his personality with his 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 heavy yeah. accent and yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah just Jeff a... Wilson took me in, you know, and he called me up. He said, "Hey, you, 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 can you watch my house? I'm going on the road for a while." And I said, "Fuck <laughs> it, yeah, I'll do it." You know, that's that's exactly it. So, yeah, no, it was it was it was great to have him on. And the other one uh, that we spent a little bit of time talking about you is is John Levin, of course, who uh, now is in Dokken. Yeah, uh, because uh, he was your lawyer. Uh, this <laughs> is probably around the same time as the Tommy thing. You were his lawyer, and and I think uh, if I no, he was got the story lawyer. right, but that's what I meant. That's what I meant. So yeah, he's your lawyer, and you call him up to say, "Hey, I need you to come down and and uh, play on something." You didn't tell him it was Dokken, and then uh, he he shows up, and and it turned out to be Dokken, and then here you know still is still in the band uh, to this yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because he had just he had just um, he had just done my divorce, which it probably wasn't. Actually, my divorce got finalized right around the time that he did a Dokken gig. So he the divorce wasn't final, but he had worked through the divorce. Um, and then uh, Don and I were working and at one we were playing with John Norm for a while, who, you know, is really incredible and really talented. And it, it was great. But I think John wanted to go on and do his own solo stuff, if I'm not mistaken. I kind of don't remember what happened with John because we we did some gigs with John Norm, which was which was pretty amazing. Uh, but then then we had uh, we were working on music, Don and I were working on music. So, yeah, I called John to come in because I know how well he does George Lynch style guitar playing. I mean, he's phenomenal at it. I mean, he sounds more like George in the 80s than George does. So <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Um, so, yeah, he came down and played. You know, it's funny. He tells a story that I didn't tell him it was Dokken. I actually don't remember that. That doesn't sound like something I would do, but. I'll trust him. Um, but but he came down and he, he's great. And Don knew he was great. So, you know, he ended up getting the gig, which was amazing. Yeah, and, and both of those guys, I mean, just, uh, you know, phenomenal guys and, and uh, you know, very, very deserving. And also with John Levin, you know, you're not, not every day you hear about a guy that, you know, half of the time in, in a rock band and, and half of the time a, a lawyer, you know, so yeah. it's, it's right. an interesting dynamic there. It is. Well, he, I mean, you know, he became a lawyer because, you know, it, when music looked like it wasn't going to work for him years ago, he took that route and glad he did because he's done quite well with it. And he's a great lawyer. Um, and uh, but, you know, he's got the passion for music. So I'm, I'm glad he I'm really glad he's playing with Don because, I mean, um, it gives him a chance to play music that he loves and uh, he does an incredible job of it. So why not? What did you think of uh, Heaven Comes Down, the, the newest Dokken record? I've only heard the one song and it sounded, sounded good. You know, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I read a lot of the people slagging off Don's voice and I don't want to be one of those because um, I understand the situation he's in. Um, the thing is, he still, he does, he still sounds like Don. So, I just credit him for, you know, he's making records and, and, and more power to him. I think that's great. You know, um, 
and certainly the music sounds great. John does great. So, uh, you know, Don, Don's still a great writer and he's still got something, you know, vocally that's unique. And so, uh, like I say, kudos for him for, for doing it. You know, what's so funny is, is, uh, when you talk about how you ended up getting the gig in docking, uh, when I, I think it was Mike Varney from Shna uh, Shrapnel Records told you that they were looking for a bassist and then yeah. you're in a cover band. So Don, Mick and George go down, see you in this cover band. But mm -hmm. then you say that basically, as soon as you met Don, he made it very, very clear that, uh, he did not like George. They did not get along. He was just, uh, he was just a, a great guitar player. But when you hear that, does that sort of, you know, kind of not obviously not didn't scare you away, but does it make you a little more hesitant to to get involved in something where there's already animosity there? Well, um, yes, yeah, it probably made me a little bit apprehensive. But I mean, you know, we were young and, you know, people were a little fierier than, than anyway. So I, you know, it probably didn't shocked me too much i just thought it was weird that he was slagging a guy in the band before i even met him that was the weird part to me it was like <laughs> really and you know he was trying to make george out to sound kind of crazy so you know I, and looking back he was trying to you know manipulate my first impression um and uh which is to me a very odd thing to do in your own band uh and it did kind of set up the fact that oh okay well this band has a different dynamic um but it was just so funny because then I, and then I met George and of course <laughs> the night I met him was the night that uh, they came out to see us at, at that, at the club in my cover band. And, you know, he got really, really drunk and George getting drunk is not always a good thing. He's, he, he's kind of a lightweight with alcohol. So he got really drunk and he was, you know, standing up and yelling, we're going to steal your bass player and all this kind of stuff <laughs> at the club. But then they came home they came to my apartment with me afterwards and George ended up falling, falling on my front lawn. So I, somewhere I have a picture of George face down with his Kasha Gugu haircut in my lawn with me holding some, uh, a cup of coffee and, and toast, you know, like that right by him. So I wish I could find that picture. I got to post that someday. Um, oh, so that was incredible. my first impression of George. But then the next time I met him, we played together and, that was when I was like, holy shit. And the way I felt playing with Mick and George was like, I felt like, wow, that's a home I could be in. So it, it was just so funny to juxtaposition that with the impression that Don tried to give me that first day. <laughs> and, you know, and some of the things Don said, you know, you know, George, George is, George is a unique individual, no question about it. But, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, again, it it was a harbinger of things to come in some ways. Yes. Was there ever a time uh, in Dokken where where it, it felt like a, a brotherhood? Where you know, I, I mean, you always hear about these bands, you know, especially back in the day, and, and a gang mentality and and all that kind of stuff. Was that ever a, a thing with Dokken? Because I know yeah. you've said that you know Dokken was a great way to to check your ego, and that's what ultimately ruin the band, but uh, there's, I'm sure there was at least some halfway decent uh, times in terms of camaraderie between everybody. Of course there were. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and it's funny because Don told us he was gonna leave the band on Halloween night, 1988. And um, of course it didn't take place for several more months, but, um, but it was so weird because we were playing with Aerosmith at the time and that was actually the peak. No, that must have been 80. No, I guess it was 88. Yeah. Anyways, that was the peak of us getting along. It was the strangest thing. Uh, it it, it kind of hit me like a brick because I, I felt like we had finally gotten to the point where we were getting along. I mean, on the Aerosmith tour, there were there were several nights where uh, because it was the first time that we had a band bus separate from the crew. So we would travel and our road manager, who is Rick Sales, who's Ghost and Slayer's manager now, um, yeah. he's our road manager. And he and the band, us, you know, Don, George, Mick and I, would, would sit up front and we'd have glasses of wine and we'd talk. And it was the best we'd ever gotten along. So, yeah, there was definitely moments of camaraderie and 
you know, I always tell the story of we call it the Buffalo Brawl because we were we were in uh, we were in Buffalo, New York one time and um, the bus was parked. For some reason, I remember it being parked like by a strip mall, and I don't know why. That's my memory of it. But actually, no, I think it was at our hotel. But whatever it was, all of a sudden, these guys come on the on the bus, like these big brawny guys come on the bus, like, who are you guys? What is what's going on? And um, I believe they were part of the Buffalo Bills team. I don't know if they were team players or just guys that worked for them or whatever, but they were big burly guys. And they were really drunk and really belligerent. And we ended up getting kind of like almost in, in a fist fight with them. We had to, you know, try and chase them off the bus. And they were like getting kind of violent and pushing us around and stuff. And we were like a gang right then. I mean, we were like, yeah, you know. And, and of course, we're, we're these little scrawny rock guys, you know. <laughs> you got these big football players. We wouldn't have stood a chance. Uh, we were all taught. But, um, but yeah, I, that moment sticks out in my mind like, okay. We have each other's back. That's cool. Was that, uh, you know, it was uh, the, the the tensions within the band were like a, a big press angle, probably amplified things a little bit. Do you think that that played a role in the downfall and that, it, you know, it yeah. obviously making things worse than it, than it needed to be? And so had that not been an angle for them, things could have potentially ended differently. Self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, it, 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 it really was. It did become a noose around our neck because people would try and provoke us. And in the early days, especially, especially with Don and George, it took nothing to provoke them into going off on a tangent. And um, that could be really problematic because those guys would say things that then doubled back around. So it, it was, yeah, it was not a good, the press angle of us not getting along was a, a noose around our neck, absolutely. Well, your uh, your first record with Doc and Tooth and Nail is also where you uh, cut your teeth, so to speak, uh, in a in a professional recording studio, working very closely with uh, engineer Jeff Workman, which I'm sure uh, played a bit of a role. I know you were uh, you know interested in that stuff your whole life, but that experience I'm sure has played a role in in what you're doing now outside of just being a musician. Obviously, you're doing this interview from your your home studio, uh, so that had to to be a very uh, integral moment of your life, I would imagine. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd been in professional recording studios before that. I'd, I'd done, I'd actually done a major label album in 1980. So I was, in some ways, in some ways, I was kind of the experienced guy in the band, in some ways. Um, but, uh, and, uh, but, um, yes, I mean, I, I was a sponge when it came to working with producers and engineers and anybody to do with recording because I love recording that it's it's a huge passion of mine um I could be in a studio all day and night it, I just absolutely love it um and yeah when working with Jeff Workman was very very enlightening for me I mean he was he was because I mean I, I gotta admit there was some chemicals involved but that you know we we would uh spend a lot of time I would stay at the studio way 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 late uh, just to hang with Jeff and as he would do things in the studio and I'd learn about them. So yeah, I learned a lot. And on that record, I learned a lot because Tom Worman, who was the producer of the record, very early on decided he did not have a good rapport with Don. Uh, so at one after after doing two vocals with Don and getting very frustrated and feeling like he wasn't getting anywhere, he looked at me and he said, you produce his vocals. And he left and basically Tom spent a lot of the time while we were doing vocals up in the lounge of the studio. Um, so I was kind of thrown into the lion's den, but it was great because I did have Jeff Workman, who's this legendary engineer, kind of by my side and and really had my back. Um, and, you know, it's not like Don did anything that was, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I didn't force him to do anything, but it really worked out. I mean, we really had a good chemistry. And um, I wouldn't say I produced the vocals myself, but I kind of did. And uh, that is that was a humongous learning experience for me. Um, and I kept that. I mean, I, that's been valuable to this day. Well, and, and it probably had to, uh, you know, with, within uh, the dynamic of the band, because you were still the new guy uh, at that point, but it had to sort of, you know, help you uh, get in a little bit closer with everybody being so involved uh, with tooth and nail. Well, yeah, yes. I mean, the, and the thing I got to say about Dokken, especially considering 
that, you know, it was kind of egos that broke us up. But in some ways, those guys, when it came to songwriting and the music, everybody really wanted the end result to be great. And they gave me a lot of room and they gave me a lot of respect when I joined the band. Um, uh, I was treated very, very equally from the beginning, which not many bands would do. So I, I got to say that as crazy a band as Dokken could be, in some ways, their their treatment of me shows that the music was the most important thing. And we had a lot of respect for one another. And that 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 carries through, I think, to this day, to be honest with you. Well, and that's so important. And and you've you've pointed out before that the the growth of Doc and it, it wasn't overnight. It happened over years and years, and you know, album after album, which I think you said is is a lost art now, which is so true, because with the way things are today, and and Spotify and TikTok and YouTube and all that kind of stuff, you know, it, it's obviously very easy to reach a ton of people uh, very quickly. But you know, and every so everybody just strives to go viral and and blah blah blah. Nobody wants to put in the time and effort to organically grow something. And in my opinion, that's you know really the only way to have any sort of of longevity. I mean, here it is in in twenty twenty three, almost twenty four, and you know we're sitting here talking about docking, you know, and yeah, uh, it, that's that's what happens when when something grows organically. In my opinion. Well, I, I think you're right. I think it gave it gave it legs. And yeah, who would have thought 40 years later, um, these records would still have relevance. I mean, uh, but yeah, we, we put in the work. Um, record companies put in the work back then. Record companies would stay behind you. I mean, you know, uh, there's a great story that the, um, the vice president of Electra Records, which was our record label in the 80s, a guy by the name of Mike Bone, who went on to have a tremendous career after that and was just a fabulous human being and a real music guy you know one of the old school music executives that loved music it wasn't just about bottom line numbers and mike bone said if uh i forget what the i think it was if if breaking the chains didn't go gold he was going to cut his ponytail off it didn't go gold he cut his ponytail off but he stayed with us and he was the guy all the way through saying, you guys are going to make it. It's going to be great. We're going to just keep on this until it happens. Who gets that today? And, and yeah, uh, no you know, the whole process, I mean, we're in an instant gratification society. So the whole process is geared to that. And uh, so, I mean, of course, things are going to be less. I mean, they're not going to be as deep. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's really great musical acts out there that are very deep. Um, that have something new to offer. Uh, but my guess is they're not great at marketing, you know? And it's a shame because now it's, you have to be, you have to do social media marketing and blah, 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 you know, all this kind of thing. And even then I would hate to be a new band now. I'd hate it. I mean, how do you, how do you even do it? I don't, I don't know. So yes, the system is not geared to the kind of longevity that a band like Dokken or, you know, anybody from that era had. And I worry about the future of rock music for that very, very reason. I still have faith that some creative individual out there is going to come up with something. Maybe we won't recognize it as new rock music or new great music or whatever, but but they'll they'll have a creative vision and they'll know how to get it across. And maybe then the business will figure out how to, monetize things like streaming which is so unfair right now i mean streaming income is horrible and that's the major major way that music gets across now so there's a real real problem in the music business my daughter who wants to get into the music business she's at ucla right now she's 19 years old i task her with solving the problem well it it, it really is a crazy thing and i actually just this morning i was interviewing uh desmond child the legendary songwriter sure. and uh he was uh you know he's on the board of ascap and and uh you know a, a big thing we were talking about was ai and how that's become I... such a, a huge problem and obviously uh all those those writer strikes and stuff uh you know from from uh, sag during the summer or whatever right. and you know it's just it's a a wild and crazy time and it's getting to the point you know you see these things on YouTube, like, you know, these silly things people make of like, you know, Frank Sinatra sings Holy Wars from Megadeth or something. And you listen to it and, you know, obviously, you know, it's fake, but it's like, <laughs> holy 
This sounds so, it could be well, so real. And, and, and the I think fact that's... that AI can write songs now, that is horrible. That's yeah. bad. That tells you something. Well, look where we're heading in so many ways. It's kind of crazy. And yeah, I mean, um, musicians, the, I don't know if it's the musicians union or who it's going to be, but are going to have to do what the writers and actors just did. There's going to have to be some kind of a strike or something because because streaming is now the main source of income and who knows what's going to happen that AI is going to do and what the what wrenches they're going to throw into the gears. But uh, musicians are going to have to have a similar situation, some kind of a strike. Maybe, yeah, I think we should all go on strike and refuse to make music until it becomes more equitable. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it it really is a crazy thing. I mean, I was just having a conversation with a buddy of mine yesterday. He was telling me, I didn't even know this is a thing. People on on Etsy or whatever, you know, they sell stuff. They will, you can go on there and uh, request, you know, whatever, you give them a, just a, a quick breakdown and they'll have AI generate an art piece, you know, a piece of art. Um, and you just tell them what you want. They're not even creating it. They're just going on, on and, 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 you know, they, maybe they know how to do it better than, than you could. So that's why they do it. That's why you pay them to do it. And I'm just like, I mean, at what point, you know, I, I don't think I would ever want some sort of AI generated painting hanging in my house. You, right. you know what well, I mean? Like, well, think about quantum computers coming in the next 10 years and what that's going to do with AI. It's going to be insane. So maybe maybe what's going to happen is is it's going to get so bad that there's going to be a huge backlash and organic music comes back. Live bands that all play together is going to come back. I don't it could cause a backlash, but uh, I'm not going to hold my breath. So again, for the sake of real composers, people that write music, people that perform music organically, they're going to have to bond together and make a statement like a strike or whatever it takes in order to get, get this sorted out because there has to be a difference between, okay, that's AI generated. That's fine. You can listen to it, whatever, if you enjoy it. But there must be a standard for real music, and people are going to have to know what real music is. They're going to have to appreciate it, so there's going to have to be a demand for it. But if there's a demand for it, then somebody's going to have to figure out a way to make that equitable. And I think that's a gigantic task. Like I say, I wouldn't hold my breath, but I'm holding out hope. Well, yeah, and if anything does happen, we are still years away from uh, anything even remotely being done. Well, that's the scary uh, but yeah, it's, you know, to that point, obviously, uh, you know, not AI, but uh, obviously one of the things Foreigner prides itself on is still playing live, not using tracks. Uh, you know, what What do you think of, of uh, you know, I don't know, I don't mean to sound like Eddie Trunk here and say that it's, you know, the tracks are the worst thing on the face of the earth, because uh, there's certainly some bands out there that uh, could probably benefit uh, from them. But, you know, I, I obviously it, it is becoming a, a huge problem. Well, I mean, the, the problem about it is that people don't mind it anymore. I mean, th think about just, yeah. what, 30, 34 years ago or whatever, Millie Vanilli lost their career over. And I would say one of them probably committed suicide as a result, you know, years down the line. So look at how far people have come in, in the acceptance of it. And that that to me is, I wouldn't call it a problem, but it just it's an indicator that people have accepted this kind of glamorized version of live music that's really about replicating a recording than it is about giving you an organic live performance um and how is my what is my feeling on it well my feeling is you know i've insisted from day one since i became the musical director of foreigner no tracks absolutely no tracks and i'm really glad we've done that because i do believe that one of the reasons that Foreigner has been successful is that, you know, yeah, we're, we, I, we are, we're a great band. I, I, I gotta say with an amazing catalog of songs, but because we're real, I think people pick up on that. And that's why we've continued to grow over the last 20 years. Um, and I really feel that's a lot of it. We have dedicated fans and a lot of times they'll say, man, the fact that you guys go up there and do it for real, that's what's great. You know, so I, I think there is a market for it. 
I think it's a benchmark that bands should shoot for, and I hope they do. Um, but and I've heard some bands very tastefully use tracks. I mean, I have. Um, and it it can be done in a way that I think is cool. Um, it's just that when I want to see when I want to see a rock band, I want to see a rock band. Dirt the more dirty and nasty, the better. Uh, and you know, tracks, I can I can hear the record. That's my that's just my feeling, but but again, I think the fact that Foreigner's never done that and never will while I'm connected with it, uh, I think that speaks I think that speaks volume for the integrity that playing live for real gives you. Well, especially in, in rock and roll, you know, where it's yeah. you know, a pop pop music has always been more polished and and whatever. Right. But with with rock, it just like you said, I mean, I think people want uh, they they want the the rawness of it, and they want to feel the the energy. And you know, how can you feel the energy when nobody's actually uh, you know performing? Uh, which is, yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's so crazy because uh, you know I'm so young, but I'm so into all this older stuff. And everybody now, you know, you see these videos of these current artists, and you know, ten ten miles away from the microphone, and the vocals are are still going, and and uh, it's yeah. You know, it's it's a little ridiculous. It's it's it, pathetic. Well, it is. And again, maybe there will be a backlash on that after a while, too. I don't know. Um, I hope so. I hope I hope there's a total rebellion for to AI, to playing tracks, to all that crap. I hope there's a huge rebellion. And like I say, but but it would have to happen. Some young band has got to come out who is just raw as, you know, Guns and Roses and the Stooges or something, you know, something really raw that comes out that's very real, that's very anti all that stuff, but is but they're amazing writers and they write amazing songs. If that happens, there could be a backlash. So let's start looking for that band. You know any any guys your age? <laughs> I know, I I know. You know, it's crazy. I went to when I was in high school. Uh, there was, you know, there was probably, uh, I don't know, a thousand kids total in my high school. And there was maybe five of us that were into, you know, right. real rock and roll, you know, it's, it's definitely uh, not what it used to be. That's for sure. No, uh, I, I want to get back to you uh, and, and a few more things on docking before we move on to other things. I'm, I'm sure you got to be so sick of talking about docking at this point, but so many fascinating things. Um, it was on the tooth. I think it was the tooth and nail tour. You guys toured with. Uh, was that when you guys did the the tour with Dio? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we actually Is that... yeah, we toured with Dio. We actually on the break of the chains tour did a, uh, some shows with them as well. But but the big tour was uh, yeah tooth and nail. Obviously, you would end up joining Dio. I think probably like a decade later or whatever. Is that where that that seed was planted, or uh, in other words, you know, were you made aware of the gig because you had that connection to the camp? Uh, from that tour, or do you think it could have happened uh, even if you didn't have that history? Well, I, I mean, it's hard to say because, yeah, what 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 was really planted there were some very very deep friendships. You know, I mean, we uh, the two bands got along so well. I mean, our our crew and their crew got along well. The band and both bands got along. We just made friends really fast. It was a great situation. We were, uh, you know, George and I would watch watch them almost every night because we were like we wanted to you know we wanted to learn we wanted to get better because talking at first was kind of a sketchy live band it took us a little while to get it together and i would say the do tour was the biggest improvement that we made because we watched we learned we tried to apply the things that we could to what we did um and and then yeah these deep friendships were made i mean those guys i mean ronnie vivian uh, Vinny, uh, Jimmy, and Claude all became really close friends with us. Um, and I'm dear friends with those who are alive still to this day. So, yeah, I mean, I think it was the friendships that ended up leading to, I mean, plus it was mutual respect. I mean, those guys had a lot of respect for us. I mean, I think they thought of us as kind of a young, raw band when we first started. But I think after over time, I think they came to really respect us. and. Um, so by the time I joined Dio, we were already really, I mean, I used to, before I joined, you know, I would go have dinner with Ronnie, you know, kind of not that, I mean, fairly often. So, I mean, we were, and Vinny was in some of my bands. I mean, those guys were really, really close. So, um, 
I would say the friendships, yeah, led to me being in the band. And obviously, uh, there's a, a major tie uh, with, with Dokken and Freddy Krueger and Nightmare on Elm Street. And that that whole thing uh, came together, if I have this right, is because Dokken's manager uh, was tight with with Wes Craven, correct? That is correct. And yeah. so then then you guys got brought in to do the, the Dream Warriors song. How was it shooting the video and working with Robert England? I mean, that's, uh, you know, because I think you had said that that was like the first time ever that uh, like a music video had been included alongside the the video release that's, of the movie that, that that's exactly right and yeah it was a big deal yeah our managers and that was an important move for us i think as far as exposure and credibility uh as for doing the video well you know it's funny because we shot it actually out not too far from where i live now but 40 years ago that was it was the countryside um and it was in this. It was in the big warehouse where New Line Cinema stored all their props, and that's where the props for Night Nightmare on Elm Street were kept. So we just shot the video in the warehouse, no heat, February. Yes, it's Los Angeles, so it's not, you know, it's not Minnesota, but it's uh, still it was cold. Uh, but my main memory, other other than being cold and uncomfortable, is how funny Robert was all day. And he never came out of character the whole day. It was just great. And he's wow. an insanely funny guy. Um, he's very friendly. Uh, and and he, he doesn't take himself at all seriously. Um, it was really fun. It, he, re, he made it really fun. He was uh, a few, like 10 years ago, he was filming a movie. Uh, I live in Ohio. He was filming a movie out here with Corey Taylor from Slipknot and Stone Sour. Wow. And, uh, yeah there's some old like abandoned uh asylum or whatever and my buddy and i tried to we snuck onto the movie set uh to try to meet robert england and Corey taylor and then uh we got we got tossed uh so it never <laughs> happened uh, yeah everything i've heard he seems like uh he seems like like a cool guy and my god oh, what an experience great. and what what a, a franchise to be associated with i mean that's one of the most legendary, uh, not even just horror, just legendary movie franchises, period. So yeah. to have that connection is, is incredible. And he can walk down the street and very few people will recognize him. You know? yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Unless he brings the hand. <laughs> yeah. So finally, uh, on, on uh, Dokken, I know uh, you guys were, I think, doing the, the tour with Van Halen. Uh, you're at the uh, Mile High Stadium in Denver. Uh, your entire team flies into the show. I think this was, you know, when the band was uh, about to split and they offer you insane amounts of money, you said, to do uh, Beast from the East uh, and, and try to keep the band going. You guys do it, but then you break up anyways. Right. Uh, and, and you said that I think even to this day, you still feel that at least even business-wise, that was just a, a, a bad decision to make. Yes. And, and, and yeah, and in fact, uh, I... I vacationed in Hawaii after the Monsters of Rock tour, and Don was also in Hawaii. And he actually came, either I came to him or he came to me, I forget. But we actually talked and we had a had a wonderful talk. And and I, I just spent the whole time saying, Don, 41 bands went platinum this year, and we happen to be one of them. And there's thousands and thousands and thousands of records that came out. We are lucky guys. Let's not throw this away. He just wouldn't go. He just, no, I'm unhappy. I gotta, I gotta leave. Um, it was, and I understand why he was unhappy. Um, and, but you know, listen, the writing would have been on the wall. Had we stayed together that remember that was the summer of 1988. So had we stayed together and maybe toured, maybe done, uh, a big record in 89 and say we did a world tour in 90, that would have been before the whole late 91 revolution with the nirvana everything so we would we would have made a lot of money actually our managers showed us how much money we could have made we could have all been wealthy men after that um and that was that's kind of the payoff when you're in a situation where a band builds you want to get to that point where okay now we're doing the big headlining tour we're going to make a lot of money there's going to be a lot of satisfaction about what we're doing our our record will probably do real well and I think if we would have put out a record in like say late 89, early 90, that if you took the best of the Lynch Mob record, the Don Dock and Solo record and my flesh and blood record, you would have had a really great record. 
Um, and so I think, yes, it was a gigantic mistake. We even would have been up for renegotiation at that point. And I remember Motley Crue getting $24 million in their re renegotiation right around the same time. We wouldn't have been that to that level, but we would have been not that far behind. And we had great managers. So on a business level, it was a colossal mistake, colossal. And, and you know, that was Don. That was Don's call. You know, I mean, I'm not saying he was 100% at fault because there was a lot of problems in the band. And and he, you know, we, we were all to blame for the, the dysfunction of the band. Um, but as a business decision, that was a colossal mistake. And, you know, I, I wonder if in the back of all of our minds, that still isn't back there. You know, I think it is in mine. But through, through the band splitting up, that did lead to you uh, getting sober, I believe, correct? It did. That's the, and, 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 and trust me, I value that a great, great, great deal. Because now I have 34 years without a without a drink. March 3rd, it'll be 35 years. Um, and wow. that, yeah. And it was it was the fact that okay, I'm out of this band now. I have my own band. I got to get my act together. Yeah, that that sobered me up. I was also getting pretty bad too with with drugs and alcohol. But um, but yes, yeah, yeah. That is that is a a bright side of the story. Um, and yeah, who knows? I mean, maybe. I, I don't think I would have gotten sober had Doc and just stayed together and followed, you know, followed through on another record and all that. Um, so who knows? Maybe I would have OD'd and died. I don't know. But uh, but of course, this is all hypothetical anyways. Um, sure. So, yeah, I mean, I see both sides of that. Um, but just to just to analyze the business side of it, that was a big mistake. Is there uh, any potential chance, as, uh, you know, there's uh, speculation that maybe Heaven Comes Down is the final record? Obviously, Lynch Mob, I think they're doing like a year and a half long uh, farewell tour. Uh, is there any chance that that uh, maybe you guys get, get together even just for one show? I know you've said before you would love to make one last final true uh, docking record. Would love it. I would love it. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, there's always a chance. Uh, I would never say never. It's not like we don't. It's not that we don't communicate. I mean, you know, there's there's, uh, you know, there is. I mean, we you know, George, George and Don have been doing shows together. So it's not like the animosity wouldn't be the problem. Now the problem would be scheduling. Um, the fact that Don lives in New Mexico and I don't think he would want to come out and record here. Um, and I don't want to go to New Mexico to, to spend a long time. Um, so I, you know, to do a real true doc and record, I'd love to do it. Um, I don't want to do a cut and paste doc and record where, you know, we do the music and we send down the, you know, and he does his own vocals. And, you know, I don't want to do that. That's piecemeal. That's not the real deal. Um, but uh, yeah, there's always a chance. We'll, we'll see. I, I, I kind of doubt it, but I would love it if we had one last, you know, if we could put the exclamation point to the whole story end up, you know, because when we worked together in 2016, the chemistry was still there. The chemistry ain't going anywhere. It's still there. Um, no. And it was a pleasant experience. It was only one song, but it was a very pleasant experience all the way around. And it worked. So I could see us doing one last great record, but we'll see. Well, outside of music, uh, you've also had some interesting uh, acting roles, including uh, probably most famously in, in Rockstar, the movie loosely based on on Tim McRowens, who, who ended up replacing Alfred and Juice Priest. What what were your thoughts when when shooting that? I've 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 had Tim on. I, I've known I, I know Tim a little bit. We we live uh, in the same general area. Yeah, he's and right. yeah, and and uh, yeah, I used to uh, he used to have a, a bar here that I used to hang out. At. It was it was a great great place. But anyways, uh, you know he's not overly crazy uh, about the movie. And you know I remember when I first saw it, I was younger, and I'm like, wow, this movie's great. I went back and watched it. Uh, I told my fiance, I'm like, hey, you got to watch this movie. It's so good. And then we watched it. And I'm like, wow, this movie's not as good as I, well, as I remember it. You and know? Don't, don't tend to age well. I, I mean, my <laughs> yeah. thoughts are that as a music movie goes, I think it was pretty entertaining. Um, I mean, did they get everything right about the 80s? Of course not. Um, uh, but I will, I mean, the director was just such a great guy. And he did let us have a lot of input on how things went. He would ask us like, well, what would you guys do in this situation? You know, and, and it was great. And, 
the camaraderie of working together was great. Um, and of course, Tim's not going to like it because it's not really his story. You know, it got kind of morphed. So um, it became something else. But uh, I still think it's an entertaining movie. I think it's fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, Hollywood is going to make anything like that kind of corny. So um, there's sure. a bit of that in there, too. But God, I have such fond memories of it. And and not only the making of it, but um, just the way that it's kind of become a little bit of a cult classic at the time. Because, you know, it came out the weekend of 9-11. So it's like, yeah. you know, it's like, oops. <laughs> so yeah. that uh, kind of got buried, so to speak. Um, but uh, I do have really fond memories of it. And, and I do think it's, as movies, music, as movies go about music i think it's one of the better to be honest with you no i and i i would agree with that especially you know when it's hard rock and, and metal based i mean there's right. not really yeah, they, uh, a whole yeah, lot they, of mainstream movies in that world exactly exactly so so hurrah <laughs> and there's there's a ton of music uh musicians i mean it's you zach wild um uh blast elias from from slaughter uh, all sorts Bonner. of guys yeah. yeah, Jason Bonham. Yeah. So they, you know, they definitely had a lot of, of you know, real rock and, and metal musicians. So give them that right. to say the least. Yep. The, uh, yep. the other role that, that uh, you did that was really sort of surprising, I, I had no idea until I was researching for this, was you did the voice uh, of Johnny Cage in the 2011 reboot of uh, the Mortal Kombat video game, which uh, for one is, is super cool. I mean, I, I'm, you know, a gamer myself. I think that's pretty cool. But I guess I would just never expect Jeff Pilson to be uh, in a Mortal Kombat game. I, I don't know. It's just uh, it's it, it works. It's great. It's it, you know it's just a unique uh, pairing in my opinion. Yeah. Well, that came about because um, we had a very dear friend who was a voiceover artist, and our daughter was very very young at the time, uh, and she was uh, she was having her do some voiceover demos. And that, and that she sometimes, she just kind of asked me, she says, well, would you ever be interested in doing something like that? And I was like, yes. And she got me the gig. Unfortunately, wow. she got killed in a car wreck very, very shortly after that. If she got hit by a car, it was very tragic. And she was a wonderful, oh my God. So it was, it was, it was really traumatic for the family. Um, but yeah, that that's how that came about, and I I love the fact that it's there. It's you know it's 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 just a cool thing. I'd love to do more some more stuff like that as as time goes on. Yeah, is that the only that's the only video game you've ever uh, been a part yeah. of, right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And is that, and not too many other voice roles, uh, right? Or is that the only one? Not that you would know of. I mean, I've done a few like commercials and Phoenix and stuff like that, but no, nothing oh, nothing okay. you would know of. And and uh, but again, that's something I would love to do. Do you ever get? Uh, does anybody ever like come up to you about Mortal Kombat or or uh, you know these Comic Cons or anything? Because you know that fan base is uh, die hard. I've I've never been to a Comic Con, so no. Um, it's only in interviews like this where people generally acknowledge it. I mean, I've had okay. a couple people mention it on the road and in meet and greets and stuff, but. No, it's primarily people that have done research because how would they know it's me, you know? <laughs> sure, sure. Well, as we uh, as we get into to the new year, uh, what else is, is going on in your world outside of Foreigner uh, and, and uh, lots of, producing? Lots of, lots of projects. Uh, Revolution Saints is coming out in February, and we got a single coming out very soon for that. Um, you know, that's, that's the project that I'm in with Dean Castronova from Journey and Joel Hoekstra from Whitesnake. Um, it's a phenomenal record. I mean, Dean's voice is just an amazing, amazing voice that it's so cool that he's Absolutely. getting this, this, uh, outlet for it. Um, and then, uh, uh, then I have the end machine record right after that. And the, the end machine is George Lynch and myself. And, you know, on our first record, we had wild McBrown was the drummer. So it was the three guys from Dokken. Oh. Well, wild McBrown is retired. So, uh, but we have his little brother, Steve who, when you see the video, he's like a clone. Uh, it's really amazing. And he plays just like Mick, and he sings just like Mick, and he's great. He's he's currently playing with Tesla, uh, but he's phenomenal. And then we have a singer by the name of Garish Pradhan from India, who is otherworldly. This guy is so good. I mean, 
you won't believe this guy's voice. He could sing anything, literally anything. And he's amazing. And he's a great guy and he's a great writer. So uh, the M Machine record, which is called Quantum Phase, will be coming out. I don't believe the record will hit the streets till March, but I believe we have a video coming out in January. So watch for a new M Machine record. That's that's all coming. Then at the end of January, Red Beach is going to come out here again. And uh, we're going to start writing the next Black Swan record, which also includes Robin McCauley and Matt Starr. And uh, that probably won't come out till well into 2025. But uh, lots of stuff on the tables, lots of music coming out. So watch for it. How did you get uh, connected with the singer of uh, the end machine? What's his name again? Girish Pradhan. Um, we got connected through uh, Serafino from Frontiers. He he made the connection. Oh, okay. Wow. Well, lots of stuff going on. And didn't I, uh, I thought I heard too, you were also uh, working on an EP uh, with, with Steven Adler. Is that right? Well. Or did you already do that? No, we've, we've done some songs. Um, honestly, where that's at is we still feel like we're a couple songs away from the right stuff yet. Um, Steven and I are very, very close and we see each other frequently. Um, and he's not in a hurry because it's all about quality. I don't know if you ever heard the back from the dead album that we did in 2012, but it's, it's a really phenomenal record, really phenomenal. And, um, he's got a really great live band and we've been tossing around a lot of songs, but we're still looking for a couple more that really nail it. So that's a back that's a back burner thing for now i'm hoping that those songs come along at some point and if they do then maybe that comes out sooner i don't i don't know well lots of stuff going on in your world uh jeff thank you so much uh for, pleasure, for coming man. on and doing great. this yeah it's uh obviously super close to the holidays so so glad we could make this work and uh yeah man appreciate your time thank you so Absolutely. much well happy holidays to you man it's been it's been great this you you really you really have a niche here it's really good oh thank you and and uh hopefully uh hope to see you out on the road i still have yet to see foreigner live so hopefully ah, uh sounds, this will be my last chance so yeah this this summer uh the, the tour is going to be amazing yeah, we're well, looking forward to it, Jeff. Thank you again, and uh, happy holidays. Happy holidays to you. All right, man.